the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Okay, so we would move into what we've been doing. I received a call this week, I think early part of a week, from somebody I highly respect, and he was talking about how the teaching we are currently doing is blessing him highly. Amen? And I trust that it's blessing you as well. And I want you to know that we are very, very serious as teaching the Word of God. That's what this church is about. It's a Word-based church. And God has given us a word for our world. It's not every church that has a world, a word to give to his world. But God has given us a specific word for our world. And we are going to communicate that boldly and clearly. Amen. And then again, you see that our focus is to get people, to connect people to God, to know God better, live life better, and impart their world better. Now, as part of our transition from faith house to embassy of life we will be focusing on how we are going to get these things fully implemented and one of the platforms through which i'm going to use to do the live life better part of our mission is the excel service amen Amen. the excel service and in, in our general church service i'm not going to be doing a lot of such teachings because there's so much. Even this book of Ephesians we have opened. If we want to deal with it, we can stay with it the whole year. I want to be focused on that aspect. That's why we call the service good news service. When you come, you must come and hear the gospel. That's what our Sunday service is going to be largely about. So at that aspect of your life, you need to have it enriched. And you are going to get it enriched through that platform. And it, it, it takes a lot to be able to do three sermons a week. One sermon a week is very tough. Doing three sermons a week, Wednesday, Sunday, and Saturday, it's no joke. But it's designed to bless your life. And if your life means anything to you, you would take seriously what we are dealing with. I don't know anybody who has not failed in life. There's somebody around you who has failed at one point in time in their lives or another. If you have not failed, your time will come. Praise God. It's almost part of life. Somebody say, your time will come. And so, you need to know how to succeed. Now, if you look around, you realize that in life, we are more failures than successful people. Have you seen that? Now, why is it that there are more failures than successful people? If there are more failures than successful people, then it means that if we learn how to turn failure around, we will generate more successful people than failures. In the dictionary, failure comes before success. Have you seen that? Mm -hmm. So it means that if you are attempting the knitting, the first thing that you are likely to face is failure. So if you don't know how to deal with that, 
you may throw your destiny away. Come with me to Ephesians. I'm excited about Ephesians. <laughs> I mean, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. The Bible said, Paul. Somebody say Paul. Paul. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. Somebody say, I am God's holy person. You are God's holy person. That's who you are. One and two. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say, grace and peace. peace. From God our Father Father. and the Lord Jesus Christ. We will look at that hopefully maybe next week. Next week is when I'm hoping that we can really start teaching the book. These are introductory things I'm sharing with you. So we're starting with introduction to the book of Ephesians. And today we are looking at an overview of the book. Somebody say an overview. An overview overview is to help us to fully uh, just get the general picture in the book. How is the book like? What is it about? What is this focus? And all of that. That's what we are looking at. In the earlier part, I did the authorship of the book where we said that Apostle Paul wrote the book. How many of you remember that? I don't have time. I would have just done a little bit of a recap to appreciate a little bit of a feedback. Ask one or two people to see what they have been learning in this class. Amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at the city and the church. Somebody say the city and the church. Now, an understanding of the city is very important if you are going to appreciate the church. The church had a certain way of life. And in every city, there is a way the city influences the way the church is done. The way you run a church in a city is different from the way you run a church in a village. The way you run a church in a town is different from the way you run a church in a metropolis. Churches are run in a certain way based on where they are located. Praise God. Today we are looking at the overview and just getting straight into business. We have to consider the theme of the book. We can't look at the overview of the book without looking at the theme of the book of Ephesians. And the theme is one, is the church. Somebody say the church. In the book of Ephesians, the word church is mentioned nine times. That is the focus of the book is the church. Ephesians focuses on the doctrine of the church, what it is and how believers function in it. What is a church and how are we supposed to function in the church? That we will see in the book of Ephesians. Doesn't mean that that's the only theme. There are many things that he talks about, but when it comes down to it, that's what it's really about. The church, according to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is a new society built on Christ and brings together under one umbrella both Jews and the Gentiles. That's what the church is. So the church is a new society. Somebody says a new society. The church is a new society and it brings together. Both Jews and Greeks, all under one umbrella. We see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together. Somebody say, heirs together. With Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So that's what it is. The church mysteriously brings together the Jews and the Gentiles together. So, in Christ Jesus, there is neither Greek nor Jew, for we are all one in Christ. Somebody say an amen. Amen. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. He said, for he is our peace who made both one and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So, Jesus became our peace and broke down the middle wall. That which separated Jews from Gentiles has been broken down. And that is what we find in the church. When we come to the church, there should not be cliques in the church. Praise God. This is not where we come to form lawyers association, doctors association, teachers association, carpenters association. You don't do that in church. Praise God. Church is about one man and Christ and Christ alone. Somebody say an amen. amen. That's why when you come to the church, you don't come to show who you are. Praise God. Because in the church, who you are does not matter. Who Christ is is what matters. Are you with me here? Who you are doesn't matter. Who Christ is and who you are in Christ is what is important. So I said earlier that it repeated nine times. Somebody say nine times. You find the church mentioned in Ephesians 1.22. You find the church mentioned in Ephesians 3.10. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 to 21. And then you come to where it is mentioned six times. And that is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 to 32. Church is mentioned six times within those uh, span of verses. The church, the church, the church, the church. Somebody say Ephesus. The church, the letter to Ephesus. <laughs> the letter to the church of Ephesus is about the church. We see many things. When you read chapter 1, you see many things. We see how the church was planned. The fact that God planned the church. We also see that in that same chapter 1, we see how Jesus purchased the church. And then we see how the Holy Spirit protects the church. We will see all of these as we get into details of appreciating the book. There are three popular descriptions of the church in the book of Ephesians. Three popular descriptions. One is that the church is a body. Somebody say it's a body. The church is a body. The church is a body. When we talk about the church, the church is a body. The church is a body. And you need that understanding. I will come back and teach on the church. There's a series I'm preparing out of it. Because when I'm done with these introductions, we can't go through it like that. I'll just teach them under specific themes. One of the themes we'll be looking at is understanding the church and your place in it. Okay, so... The church is a body. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 to 23. Let's see that. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Somebody say everything. everything. Say head over everything for the church. Which is what? His body. The church is what? His body. Somebody say the church, the church. is a body of Christ. Right, so when we talk about the church, be it universal, be it a local church, it is the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Somebody say, stop lying to me. Tell me the truth. We belong, to, we belong together. We are in this together. That's what the Bible says. And he was talking about the practical side of the book. He said the reason why when you meet a believer, there's something going on. Tell him the truth. Don't lie. Is because you are members of the same body. 
You belong to the same body, which is the church. It's amazing how many people can sit in church and lie, not to outsiders, but to church members. Pastors lie to church members, church members lie one to another. I mean, the Bible says it ought not to be so. Okay, Ephesians 5, verse 29 to 30. And after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Somebody say, I'm a member. member. Okay, a lot of people don't understand the word membership, which now they have a golf club membership, this membership and all of that, is actually a word that is a church word. Membership originated from the church. And a lot of people don't understand what it means to be a member of a church. If you are struggling to decide whether you should be part of the camp or not, you are here to understand what it means to be a member of a church. If you are in this church and you make no meaningful contribution towards its progress and advancement, you are here to understand what it means to be a part of a church. You need to understand that. Number two, the church is a building. The church is a building. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Did you see the word household? Okay, you are no longer what? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's and also members of his household. Built on, verse 20, let's read it together. Built on, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are built up together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ah, that's so sweet. The church is a building and in the church we are also built up. A church is not a place you just go to entertain yourself. A church is a place you go to be built up. Built up to fulfill your ministry in Christ. Built up to overcome the challenges of life. Built up to live a triumphant Christian life. Can somebody say an amen? amen. That's a church. That's a church. That's a church. I mean, a lot of people have funny ideas about what a church is. Not a place you go to receive prophecy. You go to be built up. When a prophecy comes and it builds you up, it's fine. But that's not the primary objective for church. It's a place where you are built up. And Acts chapter 20 verse 32 tells us the most authentic way to build people up. The most authentic way. The most trustworthy way to build people up. Acts 20 32. He said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And that was spoken by Apostle Paul. When he had called the elders of the church of Ephesus and in his parting message with them, that's what he told them. He was finished. He had finished everything he was telling them. And he said, I'm going. And I know that when I'm departed, grievous wolves will come. And all kinds of people will rise up and want to scatter you. But there's one thing I want to give you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Somebody say, I'm being built up. That's what a church is. And when you are built up, you are always built up for a purpose. All right, so that's number three. Number three is that the church, number, number two, that number three is that the church is a bride. Somebody say it's a bride. bride. The church is a bride. Some people, in fact, some theologians don't believe the church is a bride yet. 
They think that the church shall be a bride. Both cases work. I believe that the church is a bride who is awaiting the bridegroom. He's been espoused to Christ. That is what the book of Corinthians tells us. But the church is a bride awaiting its bridegroom. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 21 to 32. Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for who? Christ. Out of reverence for who? Out of reverence for who? Why don't you respect your husband? Because you don't respect Christ. Why don't you respect leadership? Because you don't respect Christ. It's as simple and plain. It can be plainer than that. He says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Then he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband, look at this with me. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the head of the his body of which he is the savior. Okay? He is the savior. He is the savior. So he likens the husband's role to the role of Christ. Christ is a bride and the Christ is a bridegroom and the church is the bride. Now, how important is the church? For a whole book to be written and its sole aim and objective is to look at the church, the church must be very important. How important is the church? I want to submit to you this morning that there is nothing on the planet as important to God as the church. Did you hear me? There is nothing important to God as the church. Nothing on earth is as dear to God as the church. Now, you see, this revelation should help you so you will appreciate the church and know what it means and seek to understand what it means to belong to it and then live in the church or stay in the church properly. Nothing. Somebody say nothing. Now, Paul, the founder of the church of Ephesus, in his last encounter, what most Bible scholars believe was his last encounter with the church of Ephesus. He didn't get to meet the church of Ephesus in person, but he was able to call out for the leaders of the church for a meeting. And that was his last meeting with them, as we will see from the reading. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 17 with me. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 with me. And from Malthus, Paul sent to where? Paul sent to where? For the elders of where? For the leaders of the church. He sent to Ephesus and called for a meeting with the leaders of the church. And then he told them many things. But I want us to take note of what he told them from verse 25 to 28. 25 to 28. Now, this is what Paul is saying. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. That's why a lot of people believe that that's that's encounter. Not long after this, probably that's when he was executed or something took him away, whichever means. But that's it. He says, you are not going to see me again, but hear what I'm about to say. You know, when somebody is dying or is about to end the assignment, what they say is very important. That's why usually when somebody is dying, the last person to be around the person, people want to hear what happened. What happened? What did he say? Did he say anything specific? Okay. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. This is Paul. I'm innocent. Oh, may God give me grace that by the time I'm finishing my ministry, I can speak boldly like this. I'm innocent from the blood of any of you. Now, look, he says the reason why I can claim innocence is because I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I told you everything you need to know. 
That's my passion and that's my commitment as a pastor. It's not that I don't know how to do other things in ministry. I really know. I was telling somebody some time back who came to my office and I was telling him something and he needed to just believe it and move on and receive their breakthrough. And I could see that he was expecting me to do other things. And I told him, listen, the reason why we have a generation of false and fake men of God is because of people like you. Yeah, because you don't want to accept the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. If you came and I told you this is oil, bring 200 Ghana CD, you will see that I'm powerful. I told you this, that, 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 that. Have you seen that over the period, all of those things have come to pass? I told him, you will not change me. Thank you. The Lord bless you. Then I walk him out of my office. Praise God. Yeah. When you pastor in a place like this, where people are very fictitious, and they like a lot of African traditional things being done, the Lord bless you is not enough. You have to wet them with oil. You have to uh, do, do all kinds of things to them before they experience the power of God. But I like the centurion. He says, speak the word only. A strong Christian is not the one who has a strong prophet prophesying to him. A strong Christian is the one who knows God for himself. That's a strong Christian. A strong Christian is the one who can receive a prophetic word from a prophet and would respectfully tell him that, listen, thank you for the word, but I already know this from God. Not the one who is shaking, rushing. They told me this. Hey, what should I do? I mean, we ask you to give 50 CDs, 100 CDs to, monthly to support broadcast. You have not done it. Somebody gave you a revelation and he's telling you bring 7,000 and you are bringing it. You are coughing it out from anywhere. You see? You see? <laughs> it's amazing how people think and how people behave. The same people who will not give time in church are people who are willing to pay anything to somebody because he gave them a certain revelation and threatened them. Listen, that's one of the things we can easily do. I have told you before, I have, I have, I have, <laughs> apart from the fact that there are spiritual gifts that can be stimulated and activated. I was telling Pastor James the last time, one of my pastor friends uh, many years ago, I used to preach for him when I finished school. When he, he called me one time and he was asking me some of the things I used to do, whether I'm still doing them, I said, I'm growing. Praise God. I have grown. I have grown. But you see, there are a lot of things that when you <laughs> give yourself to, you will not grow. Somebody say, you will not grow. And I don't want to pastor people who are not growing. Even if you are, let's say, let's say, let's say, let's say, you have a child. If you are a parent and you have a child and the child never grows, it's a burden on you. Is it not a burden? Yeah, it's a burden. If I can get hundred of you to grow spiritually and rise up to become spiritual giants, we can take this city for God over time. Than to have the whole place flooded with immature people who are looking for things that they can find only in a shrine. Look at what the Bible says. I have no time to declare to you the whole, proclaim the whole will of God. Then he says, keep watch. Now look at this. This is where it's important. He said, keep watch. Look at this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, keep watch. Somebody say, keep watch. Keep now he's speaking to the elders. He didn't mean the church. He's speaking to the elders. He said, keep watch over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You want to see how valuable the church is? It was bought. Somebody said it was bought. The church is not a gift to Christ. He bought it with his own blood. 
Praise God. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. Apostle Paul, when he's speaking about his credential, one of the things he consistently mentioned is that for you have heard of my conversation in time past in Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church. Beyond measure. And wasted it. That's Paul. I persecuted the church and wasted it. Before now, he felt he was doing something great. There are people who make it their business to pick up pastors and they waste them. They pick up ministers and they begin to accuse them, say all kinds of things. Thank God, one of those popular guys like that is now retracing his steps. This week I saw that he started making some other commentary about some people. <laughs> because, you see, God will always bring you to a place where you see that you are Batman. You are Batman. Many things have happened to the church. If you read church history, many people have risen up against the church and they have always failed. Over and over and over and over and over again. One of the things I want you to grow up into is to never come to a place where you rise up against a church, whether this church or any other church, or any man of God, whether it's this pastor or any other pastor. Whatever business it is, is not your business. And you will help yourself a great deal. There are people who have brought all manner of wahalas to themselves. It will not take prayer of another man of God. You can't dishonor a man of God. And when something happens, you are running to another man of God. Something that was procured out of this honor cannot be cured without going back to honor. Yeah. Anything that comes on you because of this honor, you have to go back to honor to reverse it. He said, for you have heard of my conversation in the time past. In Acts chapter 9, the Bible gives us an account. He persecuted the church and he did what? Wasted it. Now, Meanwhile, look at this, look at this, look at this, I like this. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, verse 2, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus, follow this reading closely, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, who was he persecuting? The church? Jesus? Look at this. Let's read verse 5 and then we'll finish. He said, who are you, Lord? Saul, ask, I am Jesus whom you are persecuted. At this time, Jesus had ascended and he was in a resurrected position. He said, I'm the one you are persecuting. Why? Because, you see, when Jesus came, he came to establish the church and he is the head of the church. So when he took his place as the head, there is a lot of work the church must still do and the body is the one that is responsible for doing the work. So Jesus left the body, which is the church on the earth. And he's seated in heaven. And anything anybody does against the church, they do it personally against the church, Jesus. Anything anybody does for the church, they do it personally for Christ. I was with Pastor James, I think about two weeks ago. Is it two weeks or three weeks ago? Went somewhere, my elder brother's church, to speak to them. And I didn't know I was going to speak to them. He, he asked me to chair the board of his church in Ghana. And so... When they to meet the people, that's what I felt we were going to do. And apparently, when we got there, he said I should speak something. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just a short time, but immediately the Holy Spirit brought me: Are you a promoter or a persecutor of the church? That's a question I asked them. And when I come to do the church series, I'll actually look at that as well. I'll teach on that. 
Are you a promoter or a persecutor of the church? Ask your neighbor, which one are you? Take your seat. Which one are you? Which one are you? Because you see, <laughs> when, when you are a persecutor, <laughs> you encounter Christ himself. The kind of things that happen to persecutors of the church, you don't like it. The only person who experienced something good, and even that one, it was after he went into blindness for three days, was Apostle Paul. Another person who stood up against the church and was not spared, his death, you don't want to be associated with it. His name was Herod. Acts chapter 12. Herod, the Bible says, Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. He said, and it was about this time that Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them. Verse 2, he says, he had James, the brother of John, put him to death. Thank God is not the pastor of ELC. Put him to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, usually that's what happens. When people are persecuting the church, because people hate the church, they are excited. When people come against Titan, people are excited. When people do all kinds of things, they speak against men of God, people are excited. Because that's what excites people. And the Bible says he went on to do that. This happened during the festival of a living bread. Verse 4. Oh, look at this. After arresting him, we put him into prison. Handing him over to the guard by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, this is what the man did. And the people began to pray. You see, the power of a church is in this prayer. When we gather every month, when we say we're having prayer meeting, please understand the purpose of a church. When you understand the purpose of a church, you will not uh, dismiss or absent yourself from certain vital meetings. Don't go for your personal prayer life. But there is power in the corporate prayer of a church. When the church mounted a prayer, God found a way. And listen, they did not pray that God killed Herod. That is why those, I don't believe in God killed somebody. God, listen. You leave God. He said, vengeance is mine. And I'll repeat. He has a better way to do his own thing. If you are Stephen and you pray that Saul uh, should die, how will we get an apostle who lay a foundation for the church? So you pray for his intervention, and he intervenes in his own wise way. You know how God dealt with Herod? Herod stood against the church. Look at what happened. Verse, chapter 12, verse 21. See, context is everything. He says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Now, before this morning, actually, I actually thought, and that is between the time I was in the office and the time I came in. I have always thought that Herod was brought down because of his proud speaking. But no, the context is in how he persecuted the church. Look at it. On the appointed Herod, a special day, verse 22, he said, They shouted, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. (laughs) You see, his cup was getting full. And this was the climax of it. The Bible said immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and he died. Immediately. He didn't die. No, look at his death. It was very, it's, it's a very disturbing death. Worms ate him up and he died. No, you usually die and worms eat you up. That's, that is a natural order. But when you mess up with God, please don't become a victim. I have never, by the grace of God, I've never cursed anybody since I began ministry. And I will not, because that's not my specialty. My mouth is designed to bless. It's not, my mouth is designed to bless and not to curse. 
The Bible says, look at this. Look, I like verse 24. I don't know. I just want to continue. But look. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When agents of the church are dealt with, the church grows. The church grows. The church grows. But they will not be dealt with without prayer. They will not be dealt with without prayer. And that's prayer. And if you go home, take time and pray. The prayer that they prayed, they didn't pray, Lord, curse him. Let him die strange death. No, 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 no. There was nothing like that there. They prayed for God's deliverance for Peter. But that guy, God felt that this guy must just go. And he cleared him. He will clear the people that need to be cleared. You then need to pray for their destruction. (laughs) So please understand that those who advance the church, God deals well with them. When you also, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, is it, I think it's Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 12. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 6, 12. Hebrews 6, 12. It tells us that when we make good investment into the kingdom of God, look at this, what the Bible says. Hebrews 6, 10. Can you give me that quickly? The Bible says, for God is not unrighteous. 10, 16. God is not unjust. He is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name. Toward his what? His name is where? On the church. In that you have ministered, take note, you have ministered to the saints. You minister to the saints. When you come and serve as an usher, you are ministering to the saints. You come for rehearsal on Tuesday, Thursday or so. You come for rehearsal on Saturday. And then you minister to the saints on Sunday morning. The Bible says God is not unrighteous. As we minister and we continue to minister in his church, he is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of life. We are sure toward his name. In that you are ministered and you are still ministering. Please, let's have a proper understanding of a church. Really, I'm not teaching about the church. I'm just looking at the overview of the book, and the church is a vital part of it. So, Now, let's quickly look at the book itself. So we've looked at the theme. The book of Ephesians is a very short book. If it was sent to you as an email and you wanted to print it, I'm, I'm sure you'll come up with about three or four pages. It's really not much, but loaded. Sometimes somebody said, the dangerous chemicals are in the smaller bottles. This book is a very rich book, loaded book. Very, very powerful book. And the book is made up of six chapters, like I said. And these six chapters can be outlined under three broad headings. Three broad headings. Number one, we are looking at the wealth of the believer. Somebody say the wealth of the believer. And that is from Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. The wealth of the believer. Somebody say the wealth of the believer. That's Ephesians chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3. Then number two, we look at the work of the believer. Somebody say the work of the believer. The work of the believer, we will see it from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Alright, so I want you to follow the divisions of the book. By the time we are done, we are through. And then of course, we have the warfare of the believer. The warfare of the believer. So we have the wealth, we have the work, and we have... The warfare of the believer. And the warfare of the believer, you can reduce the text there. It's supposed to be from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. That's where we see the warfare of the believer. From Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 to 24, we have the concluding thoughts and greetings. That's where the book ends. Alright, so that's in the nutshell what the book is all about. Let's quickly look at it slightly, a little bit in detail about the wealth of the believer. How rich is a Christian? How wealthy is a believer? 
Ephesians helps us to appreciate that being in Christ is the richest thing that it, it makes a man super rich because he's the head of all things. And the Bible says we are complete in him. Once you are in Christ, there is nothing that is lacking in your life. You are complete. Somebody say, I'm complete. I'm complete. You are complete in him. Super rich. Let's go, please, at the outline one. The wealth of the believer. Now, when I was introducing the book to you, particularly last week when we were looking at the city, you remember I told you Ephesians was a very, very wealthy city. They had all kinds of things going there. A major port there that people used. There were many trade routes that led to Ephesians. It was a very rich city. So Apostle Paul choosing it to talk about the wealth is very significant. That's why that information was very, very important. They, they understood wealth. Some people believe, some Bible commentators describe the book as the believer's bank. Some people call it the checkbook of the believer. And then, what I like is the treasure house of the Bible. Somebody say the treasure house of the Bible. The letter was written to a group of believers who were very wealthy, but they were living as paupers. Super wealthy, but they were... Have you met a person who is so wealthy but doesn't know it? That's one of the saddest things that can happen. You are rich, but you are ignorant. That's why when a person gets born again, what the person needs... It's knowledge because he needs to know. In the book of Ephesians, Paul was praying two times and he was praying that they may know. They may receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What do you need revelation for? Because there is something that is hidden. Riches are always hidden in secret places. And without revelation, you cannot assess them. Super rich. Now let's look at it. Let's look at a few of these. So in chapter 1, between chapter 1 and chapter 3, what we see is who are we as Christians and what do we have in Christ? That's what it's all about. Chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3. It shows us who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. And we see words like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. He says, in whom, look at this, in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the, according to the, according to the, I want you to be following the word riches and see how many times it appears. According to the riches of his grace. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks unto God for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches... Please follow that with me. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Somebody say, I'm rich. I'm rich. Okay. Now look at Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 7. He says, and you he had quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walk according to the cause of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works. In the children of disobedience. Verse 3. He says, Among whom also you had our conversation in times past, in the last of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. But God, who is what? God, who is what? For his great love, wherewith he had. Go to verse 5. Even when we're dead and sins had quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are. Verse 6. He says, 
and had raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, now look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, let's read it together, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Somebody say, I am rich. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. Ephesians 3 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable the unsearchable the unsearchable Now come to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 to 16. I'm just making you see the wealth of the believer. How rich is a believer? We will come back and look at it in detail, one after the other, and pick up the wealth. Because as I'm talking about the wealth of the believer, some of you are just thinking about dollars and dollars and dollars. Well, it's part of it, but in this context, that's not what we are talking about. Praise God. Yeah, because <laughs> you, you, you know you can have a lot of money and be very poor. <laughs> there are other things that makes a person rich that money cannot buy. For this cause, he said, above my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you, somebody say grant you, grant according to their to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Somebody say, I am rich. I am rich. Alright, so Ephesians, first of all, chapter 1 to chapter 3 helps you to see the wealth of the believer. Let's quickly look at it. He said, knowing the unquantifiable riches, we have in Christ. How are we to walk? I think it's a legitimate question. There's a way a rich man walks. There's a way a poor man walks. <laughs> There's a way a rich man gives. There's a way a poor man gives. There's a way a rich man dresses and there's a way a poor man dresses. Praise God. So, beyond the wealth, we need to see the walk. How is the walk like? How are we supposed to walk? And look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, where you, you come to see that our work is an integral part. You know, the, the part that has to do with work, the reference you are put under is not exactly correct. It's not supposed to be part of the work of the believer. It's a reference I will use, but it's not supposed to be. The work of the believer spans from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. But I want to show you something. Because our work was in the mind of God when God started this whole process. Ephesians 2 verse 10. He said, for we are his workmanship. Somebody say workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in them. The reason why God redeemed you is because there's something, there's a certain walk he's ordained you to walk. And in Ephesians, we begin to see that. Now, two major sides of the book, really, apart from these divisions, there is the doctrinal side of the book, and there is the duty side of the book. There is the theological side of the book, and there is the application side of the book. There is the principles side of the book, and there is a practice side of the book. Praise God. There is a belief side of the book, and there is a behavior side of the book. Now, that would divide the book into the same. We will have Chapter 1 to chapter 3, helping us to establish doctrine. Why we do this? Why this should be done or should be done? That is doctrine. It has to do with beliefs. It has to do with the theology. 
And then when you go from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6, we see application. In the light of what we know, in the light of what we have received, how are we supposed to behave? Okay, if we are this rich as Christians, what are we supposed to do with our wealth? If you are rich in power, how are we supposed to use our power? If you are rich in love, how are we supposed to walk in love? And so he begins to address some of such things here. And so he, look at this with me, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1 to 4. And we'll look at a number of ways we are supposed to walk. I therefore, somebody say, I therefore. Now, you see, this, this is a word that when you are studying the New Testament, the letters, it's a word when you see it, you have to pay close attention. Because usually it is used to introduce the practical side of the book. I have said so many things in the light of what I have said. Therefore, this is what you are supposed to do. Are you following what I'm teaching? You see, when you read the book of, let me show you another version of it in the book of uh, Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In the book of Romans, all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 11, he talks about doctrine, beliefs, theology. And then when it comes to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies. This is where he tells you what you are supposed to do. There is what Christ has done and there is what you must do. When you meet a matured believer, he knows what Christ has done for him. He's a dandy and he knows what he's supposed to do for Christ. Baby Christians just are satisfied with what Christ has done for me. God has forgiven me so I can continue to sin. That's a baby Christian. God has blessed me in every way, so I don't need to give to be blessed. That's a baby Christian. A mature Christian, first of all, knows what God has done for him. And in the light of what God has done for him, he expresses it by what he does for God. Now look at, let's go back to what we are talking about. Ephesians 4 verse 1, you will give me just about some 5, 10 minutes to finish. Okay? okay. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah, because it's a book. And if you don't end well, you will not be able to start well. Okay? I therefore, look at this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk what? You walk what? You walk what? Worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. So he starts from the second half of the book, and the first thing he starts is with walk. Therefore, walk. Walk. You have been made rich in Christ. Walk. Walk like you are rich. Walk like you are power. You are seated in heavenly places above principalities and powers. Live like that. Don't be living uh, at the mercy of witches and wizards. This occult, you are afraid. No, 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 no. You are seated far above principalities. Empower. Live like that. Walk like that. Walk like that. <laughs> now, when he looks about our walk, he tells about a number of ways by which we are supposed to walk. There is a walk we have to do among believers. There's a way we are supposed to walk among believers. There's a way we are supposed to walk among unbelievers. And there's a way we are supposed to walk at home and at work. And we see all of that in the book. How are Christians supposed to walk? Number one, among believers. Among believers, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Ephesians 4. One, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, beseech you that you walk what? Worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Now look at this. And he's beginning to give us some things that should characterize our walk. With all lowliness 
and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another. So that's that that should tell you that we're talking about how we relate with one another in church. We should forbear with one another. <laughs> forbearing one another in love. Then verse 4, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we can look at it in this sense that we are to walk according to the vocation. But beyond that, we are to walk in unity. Somebody say unity. unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. That's one I'm singling out there. A unity. So you come to the book of Romans chapter 17. God is particular about people who cause confusion and division. God is very particular. Somebody say God is particular. God is particular. People create tension and confusion everywhere. God doesn't like such people. He loves them, but he doesn't like them. He says, Romans 16, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause what? Divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to your teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. This is it. God telling you, don't associate with gossips. Somebody comes to you and he's coming to gossip about uh, Pastor James to you. Don't listen. He comes to you and he's bringing the killing. Please, uh, can we talk about something else? Or you can call me another time. Just like you watch the drama. He said, I'm seeing it and I think I must come and tell you. It's not everything you see you go and tell. <laughs> I saw him. Uh, he was sitting somewhere, one corner with a certain gear. I think something must be going on. He told you something was going on or your evil imagination is telling you something was going on. By the time you come, you create confusion and tension. So walk in unity. Mark those who cause divisions. If you are gossip, don't do it in church and don't do it anywhere. Don't get excited about talking about other people's business. Find some business and do. Lazy people engage their lips about others. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He said, walk in love. We must walk in love. Why must we walk in love? Because that is our greatest witness. Somebody say our greatest witness. In the book of uh, John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, by this all men will know you are my disciples indeed because you have loved one for another. Our greatest witness is love. So that's our walk among believers. And there are many other things. Number two, our walk among unbelievers. When we are among unbelievers, how are we supposed to walk? The book tells us about it. In verse number 17, Ephesians 4, 17. How are we supposed to walk among unbelievers? Number one, we must walk differently. Somebody say, walk differently. He said, I said therefore and testified in the Lord that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. In other words, walk differently from the way the Gentiles walk. There's a way Gentiles walk. There's a way unbelievers. There are jokes unbelievers crack. You should not be found cracking such jokes. You should not be found laughing about such jokes. Walk differently. Somebody say walk differently. Number five. Ephesians 5, 8. He says, for you were sometimes darkness, but you are now in light. Walk as children of Walk as children of what? You see, now it's not about what Christ has done. It's about what you must do. He shows you what Christ has done. What Christ has done has made you so rich. Now what are you supposed to do? Walk. If you are among unbelievers, you have to walk in wisdom. Somebody say walk in wisdom. Yeah, that's what we are told. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. 
Ephesians 5.15. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. Sometimes the things that bring you problems in your workplace is all because you are not walking in wisdom. The way you work, you walk in your workplace and talk should be different from the way you do it when you are among the brethren. Walk in wisdom. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 17, 16, he said, Behold, I send you among wolves. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You have to be wise. Somebody say, walk in wisdom. Now, at home, are you following what I'm teaching? How are we supposed to walk at home? At home. And at work. These two places are very important places because they are part of our lives. At home and at work, we must walk in submission. Somebody say submission. Say submission. You must walk in submission. If Christians will understand these things, it will be easy. Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 22. Ephesians 5, 21 to 22. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's the first level of submission. Then he comes to Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. He tells us, children, obey your parents in the same spirit of submission. Obey your parents. Then he comes to chapter 5, chapter 6, verse 5 to 6. He says, servants, be obedient to your masters. Can you see the submission link? Be obedient to your masters. Be submissive to your masters. Let me close with the warfare of the believer. Somebody say the warfare of the believer. So, we have looked at what? The wealth of the believer. The, what have you looked at? The wealth of the believer. The work of the believer. We are looking at the welfare of the believer. Turn to your neighbor and say, Christianity is serious business. The man who founded the church. In Ephesians chapter 15 verse 32. Paul was speaking there. Chapter 6 verse 10 to 20. Apostle Paul was speaking in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 32. He said, For if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. Somebody say wild beasts in Ephesus. <laughs> when, when no more than human hopes, what have I gained if in the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Apostle Paul said, listen, the reason why I fought hard and I'm still fighting and I'm making all the sacrifices is because there's resurrection. And I'm telling you, if we come to a place where as Christians, we become more than convinced that there is resurrection. The resurrection is so real and it's more important and that we are going to be rewarded after that. It will change our attitude. The way Apostle Paul fought, the way he sacrificed, we looked at his life, how he lived his life. And the reason why he lived the kind of life he lived was because he knew that there was life after resurrection. He said, I fought the wild beast of Ephesus. So he wrote to this church. He said, Ephesus, listen. When I was with you, you didn't know what I was going through. I was in tears night and day. I served God with all humility. The kind of things I went through. You have no idea. And I'm telling you, now that you are saved, I want you to understand that there's a warfare ahead. There's a battle ahead. There's a war we are engaging. We are not joking at all. Praise God. So in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, he begins to tell him, he said, be strong. Don't be joking in prayer. Don't be sleeping in prayer because we are at war. Fast when we must fast. Give when we must give. We are at war and we can't afford to lose a war. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't leave something out. You need the word. You need righteousness. You need truth. You need every one of these because we are at war. Somebody say we are at war. 
There are many Christians who don't understand and can't simply appreciate the fact that the church is at war. That's why we cannot afford to fight among ourselves. We are at war with the world outside. Why should we fight among ourselves? Why should we allow somebody offended you in the choir? I'm not singing again. Somebody offended you in the horses. I'm not offering again. Somebody offended you. I'm leaving the church. You are a baby. You can't simply understand that we are at war. Look at Ukraine. Look at the way Ukraine has become united. There is no opposition party. There is no ruling party. Every party is the party that is fighting in the war. Can we become so serious and focused as believers and begin to see that this is why we were saved. We were saved so that we can win others at all costs for the Lord. Can we come to a place where we realize that? Where we will not be thinking about ourselves only. Why can't you give? Because you are thinking about yourself and your family. You can't see the big picture. We are at war. Somebody say we are at war. That's what the book tells us. We are at war. There's a serious war at hand. Go to our campuses. War for the destinies of young men. Young men are giving their lives to all kinds of things. Homosexuals. All of that. Occultic things are becoming rampant in our universities. And we need a church planted close to the campus. And you can't be burdened. Why? Because you are not thinking that someday your children, you don't know that someday your children will be there. And you have no idea what will happen when your children get there. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are at all. Listen. We can't fight at home and win the battle outside. When there is opposition, when there is a war, people put aside their own interests. I'm offended, but listen, we must win this war. I'm wounded, but the battle is not over. I am grieved, but we are fighting and we are fighting to win. Can somebody say an amen? That's what the book is about. That's what church is about. That's what gospel is about. That's what Christianity is about. We cannot waste our time and be fighting among ourselves. You can't. You can't afford that. We can't fight among ourselves. We can't. One pastor should not come on TV and be insulting another pastor. The world already doesn't like us. We should not be discussing our matters behind public. This person picks tongues and says this about tongues. Then another person picks that and says, and then the world is left mocking at us. Can we be serious for a moment and understand that as a church, we are at war. And the war we are fighting is not with personalities. How many Christians have not made enemies? There is a Christian who may be listening to me online or even in this church. And you are not talking to your mother-in-law because some foolish prophet told you that woman is a witch. You simply don't understand the nature of warfare we are at. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh. This thing is not natural. This thing is spiritual. This thing is not in the earthly plane. This thing is in the heavenly place. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wars of the devil in the evil day. He said that for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Are you hearing what I'm teaching this morning? That's the war we are in now. That's the war. That's the war you and I are in. The war is not a natural war. Stop fighting with people. Stop accusing people. Satan uses them, but they are not the main target. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The nature of the war is spiritual. The tools are spiritual. And if you must win, we must understand, number one, that we have what it takes. Somebody say, I have what it takes. 
You have what it takes to win the war. And that is your wealth in Christ. In Christ, you are not weak, you are powerful. In Christ, witches cannot destroy you. You are more than a conqueror. In Christ, your life is hidden. Christ, they said they've taken you to some uh, one or uh, cortic man somewhere. You don't need to pray about it, you just need to take your place in Christ. Your life is hidden, Christ, and Christ is hid in God. So, for anybody to be able to annihilate you, destroy you, first of all, they must destroy Christ and then they finish with God. That's when you can be destroyed. So, when you understand your wealth, you know that you can be defeated in the world. And your understanding and knowing your wealth will affect your work. And then your victory in the battle of life becomes smooth. I see you win in the battle of life. I see you win in the battle of life. Stand on your feet and begin to thank God. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no.